We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. But welcome to Sox Machine Live, everyone. I am Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, who is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. As it is June 10th, 2021, as we are streaming live late Thursday night as the Chicago White Sox win the series against the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a big series win for the White Sox. Uh, we'll recap as far as that series win for the White Sox. They now, after this game, <laughs> oh, the life of a major leaguer. They got to shower. They got to dress. They got to hop on the charter bus. They got to go to the airport and they got to take a charter flight to Detroit, uh, which they're going to land at like three or four in the morning. Uh, because they have a weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. We'll preview that series uh, and, of course, talk about the big news. Uh, unfortunately, more injury news for the Chicago White Sox as they got some bad news regarding Nick Magical. So we have a lot to discuss. And, Jim, let's talk about this series win for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, they won game one, six to one. But it was a much closer game uh, than the final score indicated uh, as the White Sox ran a, ran away late, especially in the eighth inning. Andrew Vaughn was the hero of game one uh, to tie the game and give the White Sox the lead. Game two is when Madrigal got hurt. Lancelin was terrific. We'll talk about Lancelin in a moment. Uh, and then it just fell apart. Poor defense. And it was the Blue Jays that ran away late in the seventh and eighth inning. And game three, the White Sox, uh, thanks to Jose Abreu with a two-out RBI double, following a Yerman Mercedes double, and Yasmani Grandal followed up on Abreu's double, hitting a two-run homer of Hinjin Ryu to put up a three-spot in the first inning, uh, and an Adam Engel homer against a righty, which, which was terrific, and then another RBI double by Jose Abreu, and the White Sox win game three, Five to two. The White Sox record is now 38 and 24 on the season. They are four and a half games ahead of Cleveland in the American League Central as Cleveland will be facing Seattle uh, this weekend while the White Sox face the Tigers. 
Uh, again, this is the good news, Jim. The White Sox win a big series against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are a good team. They are above 500. What are your big takeaways for the White Sox from this series win? Well, it was a fun series, first of all. Like, all three games were close. I don't know about well-played, but I guess they were evenly matched enough to where you felt uh, that, you know, neither team was really out of it, and neither team really, you know, even if they made a mistake, they couldn't count on clean baseball on the other side, getting them back in it. So it was, uh, you know, three similarly shaped games, uh, late runs, uh, front ends of the bullpen not really holding up. So it was, uh, you know, I guess... Um, you know, the White Sox had, I wouldn't say out talented them, but it's another series where, you know, they had a debilitating injury, like a, a kind of a gut punch injury. And yet when the smoke clears and, and, and just as you're feeling terrible about it all, they, they win two out of three and they're, they're, they're better in the AL central standings than when they started. So it's, you know, I think the funny thing was the magical injury happened like basically 61st game of the season. So after the 60 game mark where I kind of looked at it like, oh, the season was over mm-hmm. last year. A lot of season left. Here comes the grind. And then the grind is immediately with a magical injury. The fact that they uh, were able to rebound, dust themselves off and win two out of three, I think is, uh, you know, not a must win, but also not unimportant. Yeah. And it does demonstrate the White Sox resilience. Because, uh, again, mm-hmm. we'll talk more in depth about the Nick Magical injury. That is the big news for the White Sox at the moment. Uh, but this isn't the first time. Unfortunately, they're going to have to deal with uh, big injury news. And I think that first inning against Ryu was so clutch for the White Sox, especially for Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal to deliver. Because that really set the tone for that third game. Because I know there were a lot of White Sox fans that were not necessarily confident because it was Keiko on the mound against a very explosive Blue Jays lineup. And I thought Dallas Keiko pitched terrific. He struck out eight batters, Jim. Mm-hmm. Dallas Keiko in 2021. Might have been his best start. Yeah, he struck out eight batters. Terrific start from Keiko. Yeah, it's it's the kind of start where um, I mean, we saw it with Mark Burley all the years. The cutter buys a, a couple inches on the inside corner to righties and the changeup buys a couple of inches on the outside corner. So all of a sudden it's a 21 inch plate and it looks really easy. And, you know, it's really a matter when you have that kind of formula is just being able to repeat it as the pitch count rises, as fatigue sets in a little bit. And he did really the biggest disappointments were on the defensive end, um, you know, giving up extra outs, not taking extra outs when they're presented. You and Makata forgetting how many outs there were. Uh, that was pretty much a, you know, I think Keuchel uh, showed a bit more emotion than he might like from a pitcher, just kind of searching the field with his you know, hands up raised, like, am I the only one who knew how many outs there were? And uh, you know, Jose Abreu's reaction was that, uh, yeah, he did not. <laughs> I guess, like, you know, Mankato was the only one out there who uh, thought there were two outs. <laughs> Either way, it's just the, you know, when the pitch count rose – it wasn't his fault. He made the pitches he needed to. Like Jose Abreu also had a fielded a chopper without knowing how to get rid of the ball and, and costing him a base runner. So the two runs that scored were earned runs technically in the box score, but they were not earned runs in terms of just who was at fault for where the base runners ended up and how they ended up scoring. Again, the White Sox with the series win 38-24. and 24. After the second game, what caught my attention from this series was Lance Lynn. 
and just kind of sharing on how much he is enjoying pitching for the Chicago White Sox and pitching in front of the White Sox home crowd that he mm-hmm. commented that his personality fits very well on the South side. And that is music to White Sox fans ears, especially those White Sox fans that would like to see Lance Lynn continue to pitch in a White Sox uniform after the 2021 season. And Jim, you recently wrote about this on SoxMachine.com, trying to figure out what a possible Lance Lynn extension would look like. So Mm -hmm. let's have that conversation. But also, it's been a while since the White Sox have had an in-season contract extension. And when it comes to a pitcher like the caliber of Lance Lynn, and especially at his age, uh, we have seen this before in the past with Mark Burley signing an in-season contract extension uh, that Rick Hahn played a pivotal pivotal role as the assistant general manager at that time for the White Sox in getting mm-hmm. that deal done. Uh, could we possibly see another in-season contract extension with Lance Lynn? It's possible. I mean, I, I think the, the quote is significant in terms of expressing some kind of, uh, you know, interest mm-hmm. in – Extending the stay, like I made the joke on Twitter saying that, you know, uh, you know, Lance Lynn is the real captain of attitude and Jeff Samarjo was a false prophet. And, and also, you know, partially in terms of, you know, being the, uh, I guess, the the guy who wants everybody to rally behind him, like Samarjo got in the fight the one time, but really... You know, there, there, the the White Sox ties that they tried to extend with him and being from Northwest Indiana and being a Notre Dame guy and just like all that felt forced and artificial. I think with the with Lance Lynn's experience so far, it does not feel forced. Like the White Sox did not. Uh, yeah, basically they, they they signed him or they they traded for him under the idea that he's going to help this year. We'll figure it out afterwards. So there wasn't the whole like please 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 sign with us the way that uh, they kind of uh, stretched themselves out for Samarja. So I think it started on a more natural note, like not trying to assume too much. You're taking it slow, like not trying to come off as desperate, playing you know maybe a little bit hard to get, which I think sometimes works. Like uh, you know uh, just. It, not, not not being as needy. So there's that. And then, you know, Lance Lynn also holds up his end of the bargain. Like he pitches the way they think. And, you know, he has a couple, he has the IL stint. And then he has the start that ends in ending earlier with tightness. And so, you know, basically, you know, I think there's a little bit of expectation management in terms of, you know, how to guide him to October, making sure that he's healthy, uh, making sure that he's the pitcher they thought he was, both in terms of in-game effectiveness and then start-to-start effectiveness. And so far, that's holding up well. So I think, you know, it's, it's you know, the, their relationship is taking a natural, easy course. Nobody's asking to move in with each other yet. It's just a nice, uh, you know, pace that makes sense for everybody. But now I think with Lynn saying that and with, you know, the fans responding and with him giving the White Sox exactly what they need, it makes sense to start thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I think of it more in terms of the Jake Peavy extension, which happened after the season, but before the off season, like yeah. during that window where there's exclusive negotiating rights, I think that kind of makes sense to me. Like if nothing happened during the summer, I still think that, you know, should the season work out as well as it's on track to, and the White Sox look as good as they do. And they have the nice little attendance bump and everything like that. I could see that, you know, it, if nothing happens during the summer, I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet. I think with Lynn's age being, you know, mid thirties and, and not being the typical starter who makes bank 
in the offseason. I think the White Sox can fit him in, and it maybe makes sense for everybody to wait till the end of the season to kind of figure out what the White Sox can actually spend and for Lynn to extract more money from that. So it makes a lot of sense. I don't think it's forced. I think everything's just enjoyable right now. And so I'm not going to stress too much, but I think it does make sense for at least both sides to consider it. Yeah, it's that qualifying offer period that the White Sox can maybe figure out a way to keep Lance Lynn around for a couple of seasons, maybe three seasons, uh, if that's mm-hmm. what Lance Lynn demands. And, you know, the way that he's throwing at age 34, I I don't see reasons for him to slow down. I know we had these conversations last year uh, before the trade deadline with White Sox fans that were skeptical and just how good Lance Lynn is. And I am very happy that now everyone is seeing, yes, Lance Lynn is really good. Uh, and, yeah. and, and he's probably in the top three if the season were to end today as far as uh, American League Cy Young contenders. Uh, I, I still think it's Garrett Coles and uh, Shane Bieber, uh, you can make an argument, is ahead of Lance Lynn. But, you know, the dude is a rock right now in this White Sox starting rotation. So it's music to White Sox fans ears to hear that, Hey, someone who is excelling wants to stick around. Uh, let's see if you can get him to stick around. And I know that there's a whole yeah. Carlos Rodon situation too, that Rick Hahn has to figure out after the season. Yeah. I think there are a couple of unique dynamics going on with the Fans coming back in the stadium, I think Lynn is a good fit for this fan base. Mm -hmm. And also, I like what's going on in center field with like the fourth outfielder du jour in center and like the fans and the bleachers and, you know, on on both sides of the batter's eye in center field just going nuts whenever, you know, whether it's Billy Hamilton, whether it's Adam Angle hitting the homer, just like going nuts in center after, you know, getting the heroes welcome in return to the field. That's, uh, I think I'm enjoying that a lot too because. White Sox hot field's kind of a mess right now, so I enjoy the fans getting behind whoever has to be out there right now uh, and, and, and heralding what happens when they can actually, you know, you know whether it's you know, Hamilton coming through, whether it's Engel against a righty, just in unlikely situations delivering. All right, so I think we've talked enough about the good for the Chicago White mm-hmm. Sox. Let's unfortunately, and that's not like us. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's unfortunately touch on the bad news, and that is Nick Magical, uh, who has a right hamstring tear. He has gone on the sixty-day injured list. Brian Goodwin was called up from Charlotte. He finally joins the White Sox roster to replace Nick Magical on the roster. Surgery is a possibility, and the White Sox and Nick Magical. We'll continue to get uh, advice from the medical experts, a lot of them from Rush Hospital uh, in Chicago, to determine whether or not surgery is the best path. And it's it's just not about Nick Magical coming back in 2021, but what brings Nick Magical back in optimal shape for 2022 and beyond. Those are the types of questions and conversations that Nick Magical and the White Sox are going to have to figure out on their own on what they want to do next. But at this moment, it does look like that Nick Magical is not going to be returning to the White Sox in 2021, Jim. And this is a big blow. Mm-hmm. You, you wrote about it this week, and we talked about it on Monday on Sox Machine Podcast. It's like, wow, look at the last couple of weeks from Nick Magical. Sure, he's striking out more, but he's figuring it out. He understands what pitches that he can drive. We're starting to see more power. It's going from Nicky two strikes to Nicky two bags as he's getting more doubles, and he's hit two home runs 
runs on the season. Uh, and all of those good vibes go away so quickly uh, with him trying to beat out a infield single. Uh, he unfortunately missed first base, but the, the hamstring tear and it appears his season is over. And, and the big question that I have, it, it's not so much, all right, who replaces Nick Magical at second base? Mm-hmm. Who replaces Nick Madrigal's offensive production? Because it is unique, but it is very helpful for the White Sox, and he seems to be like that glue guy, especially in the bottom half of the lineup. Yeah, especially with the way he looked the last couple of weeks and being a difference maker, not just somebody who fills a hole in the lineup well and gets on base enough, but actually delivering some hits, like making outfielders turn around, slugging over 500, which I don't know if we'd ever talk about Magical doing that outside of like a, a three-game series. Uh, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, you, you bought a house recently, so you know the deal with credit scores and how backwards they are a little bit and <laughs> how, like, yeah. you know, you can have no debt ever and and have a bad credit score because you've never shown the ability to have debt. And Magical reminds me of that. Like, his approach reminds me of that. Like, having no strikeouts on his record is like, that's good, but he also didn't show that he could, you know, cause damage. He could, he could you know, give uh, pitchers a reason to actually think about him, consider him for more time. So he started, like, taking in more debt with the strikeouts, but ultimately, like, showing that he could, you know, that is worth it, that he could basically pay back those strikeouts with extra bases and make up for it. And so now I think you're seeing just the culmination of that into somebody who's, like, a well-rounded hitter and not just somebody who can be a marvel because of a low strikeout rate in a time where everybody is whiffing. But to make up for that, I think is what's tough. They could have gotten by with the guy who slugged 350 or whatever, because, you know, Garcia can do that at times. Danny Mendick can do that at times. You can kind of mix and match and hope that other areas of the roster pick up the slack. But with Jimenez out, with Robert out, and, and with, uh, you know, now Magical out, and Magical being the guy who is picking up some of that slack, now it just kind of uh, cascades down another level, you know, picks up, you know, you know whether it's a snowball uh, effect to where now the guy who's filling in for Magical has three players <laughs> to kind of pick up for in, in a way, like indirectly. So that's tough. And that's why I, I think you're hearing a lot of names from the outside, because when you look at, you know, Garcia's already had to pick up in the outfield and maybe Brian Goodwin can help with that. But Goodwin's been looking a little bit iffy at Charlotte, so wouldn't count on that. And you wouldn't count on Garcia helping all that much, given how he's played, although he's played better as of late. But just, it seems like the, you know, speaking of debts, like the debt is mounting in terms of just how many plate appearances they've lost from impact players. And you would think that, you know, they've done a good job of avoiding it so far in terms of actually turning into losses. But you'd think at some point they have to be on guard against those, you know, quiet innings piling up in in an order that they can't make up for over the course of like, three games or six games, uh, you know, to 10 games. And that's what I think they have to be on guard for. So that's why I think you're seeing a lot of fans and, you know, non-fans like writers outside thinking like, who's a good fit for the spot because nobody on hand can really do the job. And I mentioned that. And for those that follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh, when we have breaking news like this or even pregame shows, I host a Twitter space. So if you're on Twitter, uh, gives us an opportunity to hop in and have a quick conversation about things that are happening with the White Sox. And I hosted one and brought in Jordan Lazowski from Sox on 35th just to talk about the breaking news with Nick Magical's injury. And I felt like with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez's injuries, Jim, Rick Hahn might have been content 
to see on how the internal solutions go. And mm-hmm. because it would have bought him enough time if the White Sox are in first place on July 31st. And if he gets good news from Glendale, uh, which is where Luis Robert is right now, continuing his rehab, that, hey, Luis Robert is going to join in a couple of weeks. All right, I don't have to give up anyone from my farm system, uh, which is a weak farm system, and I have to start rebuilding that farm system. Uh, so if I don't have to give up anyone, then we're going to be in, in good shape. I, I get a bit of everything. I get my star player back and I don't have to mortgage the future. But mm-hmm. with Nick Magical now out for the season, uh, I think he's got no choice. Between now and July 31st, Rick Hahn needs to make a trade. And I think he does need to bring in someone that can be a starter. Now, is that a starter in the outfield or second base? My answer to that question is yes, <laughs> or either. It doesn't really matter because, again, I'm more focused on the offense. Rick Hahn needs some outside help to replace the offensive production that Nick Magical was providing. And a Southern term, bless their hearts. But Danny Mendick and Lurie Garcia are not replacing Nick Magical's offensive production. I think Danny Mendick can help on the defensive side, and I don't think we'll have to worry about him. And Lurie Garcia is at his best, Jim, and we talked about it over the years when he's that super utility guy, and he's filling in wherever. Uh, he played right field tonight, uh, as Tony La Russa did not like the matchup for Adam Eaton against Ryu. I do not blame Tony La Russa at all. I thought that was mm-hmm. a smart play. Uh, but at this moment, that's kind of where my head is. Is like, I'm sorry, Rick, but now you have no choice. From now until July 31st, you're going to have to make a trade and you're going to have to bring in a starting caliber position player to not only help you win the American League Central, but also help you guys, as far as the White Sox, uh, win the American League pennant in 2021. Yeah, I, I think that's why I think it was Mike Petriello uh, had a, a simple tweet saying, like, is Adam Frazier on the White Sox yet? And that's a... <laughs> Uh, that's a case where you look at the player, you look at the you know, positions he can play second. He can also play a corner outfield. Yeah. He's a lefty. He doesn't really strike out all that much. He's got good doubles power. Uh, he's leading the National League in doubles right now. And hits, the way Madrigal is leading the White Sox in hits, uh, also has the capabilities of hitting 10 homers. Like He does a lot of what Nick Madrigal does from the other side of the plate. So, yeah, kind of. like. <laughs> And also, uh, you know, with him playing a corner outfield spot, you know, he's under contract or he's, he's under team control for another year after this. And, you know, that's good in a way, bad in a way. It's good in a way in terms of like Adam Eaton, you know, probably not coming back the way his season is going. So they can use like another idea for left or right field to step in while they try to figure out like maybe a more permanent solution. And also, yeah, I guess the bad thing is that his price is going to be up. And do the White Sox have enough to make a deal? Unless they say like, well, Jared Kelly is pitching an A ball when he's waiting for Arizona Rookie League to arrive. Like, cut him some slack, take him. Something like, you know, along those lines to where like one of their interesting prep picks might be enough or two of them might be enough to get the job done. It's it's a tough situation. I think, you know, the White Sox could use a guy like him immediately. Pittsburgh probably has reasons to dangle him a little bit just because he I, I can imagine him filling needs for a lot of teams just yeah lefty bat multiple positions he can help out so it makes sense for the pirates to wait so i wonder you know that's the most obvious fit right now just based on what the white Sox are missing and what they get back but uh it's early 
you know, before the trade deadline. So it would seem like they would have to pony up, uh, you know, maybe more aggressively than you think and hope that, you know, the, the switch from NL to AL to, uh, to uh, seller dweller to contender uh, is worth it. So let's, let me ask you this question in regards to when the White Sox pull the trigger. Does it make mm-hmm. sense for Recon to find a solution right now? over the weekend while the team is in Detroit to make a deal happen? Because you bring up a good point that Pittsburgh may want to wait because at this moment you can make a really good case that Adam Frazier should be the starting second baseman for the National League in the All-Star game. And from Mm -hmm. a Pittsburgh Pirates ownership, that would look pretty cool if one of the guys that started the All-Star game is wearing my uniform. So let's wait until mid-July and see what the offers are. Uh, which is still a month away from where we are currently right now in the season. Uh, is that too late for the White Sox to make a move? How are you feeling about timing to make such a move? I think they can wait a little bit. Like I think it makes sense when it comes to the idea of like, well, maximizing your investment. And if it costs Jared Kelly or, or whoever to get the deal done in a comfortable amount, and you may as well get the most games in 2021 along with the full 2022 season in order to make the investment worth it. Uh, on the other hand, they do have a four and a half game lead in the central. They have, uh, you know, this is why they have a four and a half game lead to allow themselves some time and, and allow themselves to have a bad week and adjust to see what they have in order to, you know, make the smartest move possible, not overreact. Like this is uh, a team like Cleveland would might be the one who you know should where the tables turn and they had this kind of injury, uh, critical injury in one spot. They might be the team that needs to pull the trigger in order to make up the ground. Whereas the White Sox can wait. Um, what I don't want to see them do, like if if they made the run to get like Frazier now, then it makes sense on paper. It's like the perfect fit, fine. But if they got like somebody like Jonathan Scope or somebody who isn't like a perfect fit, you know he's a good player, upgrades position, but isn't quite the right fit. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the, you know, the Adam Eaton signing in the offseason that the White Sox had to get it done. Like they, it wasn't, you know, they, they offered money to Jock Peterson. Peterson wanted more. They said like, nope, we're going to sign Adam Eaton. We need to jump on this quick. We don't really want to wait around. And Peterson looks like the better player right now. And so uh, I don't want to see them handcuff themselves by trading a guy who ultimately doesn't fit a position as well as like a guy like Frazier does or, or what have you. So that's, I think what I'd caution against is rushing for the wrong guy. If it's the right guy, then maybe it's worth overpaying at this particular juncture or feeling like you're overpaying at this juncture based on where they are, they are in the season and where they are in trying to win a championship. But for the uh, just um, minor upgrade who still, you know, maybe is a right-handed hitter and, and doesn't hit righties well, and, and, you know, that kind of odd fits, then it seems like that's not worth doing unless that player is like DF8 or something. All right. So I'm going to act as Ben Charrington, the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jim. And you are Rick Connor of the Chicago White Sox. You call me right now asking for Adam Frazier. And I tell you, looking at your farm system, that the price, if you want Adam Frazier right now, is Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, and Jose Rodriguez. Would you, as the White Sox, make that trade now for Adam Frazier? It feels like two of those players should suffice. Um, it, it's tough because that's the uh, 
it's the kind they're so far away from the majors to where you just feel like I can't believe we didn't get the guy we needed because we weren't uh, afraid of like parting with Jose Rodriguez. Uh, but but you know based on you know uh, Fraser's track record, you know he's uh, 29 this year. He's never had like a season above three wins. He's a useful role player, but he's not quite a star. It feels like two of those guys should be able to get the job done. So that's why I think like three feels like a lot and maybe. You know, if the Pirates are intent on slow playing it a little bit, then I think I wouldn't rush in and see if the price comes down. Ultimately, like if if nobody else is available, or like you, you know, they, when they make all the phone calls and they have all the exchange all the texts and they realize Frazier's still the best bet, and the White Sox really need that left-handed bat, and there's no other way to supplement the lineup from the left side then probably you do it and you can justify it later. But uh, for the time being, I think right now that feels like a lot. Well, we did get this question coming in from Kevin Dune, uh, which for those that are listening to the podcast feed, if you get an opportunity, we do stream this show live on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash machine. Kevin is asking about Trevor's story and Trevor's story is probably the biggest player this op, this trade deadline gym unless the Washington Nationals dangle Max Scherzer uh, in a possible trade of the Nationals decide to sell I think it's a foregone cl- conclusion that Trevor Story is going to get traded at some point this season uh, it just feels like that's the type of deal though Colorado needs significant prospects back uh, because if they don't get any ba- anyone back that could have you know a, a high ceiling uh, that's gonna really hurt as far as their rebuild efforts. They need a marquee prospect to kind of launch a rebuild that uh, whether they want to admit it or not, they're gonna be entering after this season. Uh, what are your thoughts about the White Sox possibly going after Trevor Story and having Trevor Story be the second baseman? Well, he's he's had a bit of a down year, so maybe the price is more right than it used to be. Um, but he's also had elbow problems. It, it's uh, it's a case where I'm not really sure what his value is right now, and I'm not sure the Rockies know what his value is or anybody else contending <laughs> for it. And who knows what the Rockies actually know at all because they're kind of a mess right now in, in terms of their front office. But... Yeah. Right now, it, you know, like Frazier is definitely at the peak of his value. Like, I don't know how he improves his stock from here. So I think, you know, the uh, you know, the Pirates are right to ask a high price and budge a little bit maybe if nobody's biting. But for the time being, they may as well just go for it because either way, I think they're in better position than they thought they were uh, entering the season when it came to a player like him. But for Story, you know, coming, you know, dealing with the elbow injury, dealing with uh, just kind of a down year at the plate, Seems like, you know, in order for them to get what they feel is the value that he carried into the season or close to it, it's going to take a while. It's going to take probably a key, yeah, yeah, another key injury, maybe a couple key injuries among contenders uh, bidding for him to try to, to uh, drive up a war. Because right now I think that uh, if one team is doing the bidding, probably not enough to, I, I guess, I wouldn't say artificially inflate his price, but I guess to to reestablish his value based on what he's lost due to the production and elbow issues. And and that's why, as I put the hat on for Ben Charrington, that's why I think Pittsburgh would ask for three prospects because they can at this juncture. And if Rick Hahn is calling Ben Charrington, Ben knows what's up. Like he knows the situation that Rick Hahn 
is in. And it could be, you know, some smell of desperation. Maybe it's not Matthew Thompson that's part of that deal, but it's another third prospect that's included with Rodriguez and Jared Kelly. And it hurts the White Sox farm system. It most definitely does. With the way that Rodriguez has started playing this year, that's two of your top five prospects going for Adam Frazier. And we may look back at that trade in a couple of years, and if Kelly and Rodriguez pan out, you know, White Sox fans are going to be like, why did we do this? Why do we continue to do this? You mm-hmm. know, the Jeff Samarja trade and the James Shields trade and the Adam Frazier trade. Uh, but that's 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 future White Sox problem. That's not current White Sox yeah. problem, which is trying to fill the void of Nick Magical's injury. So I, I really do like the idea of Adam Frazier. But let's say the price is too high for Adam Frazier and the White Sox are not comfortable paying that price for Adam Frazier Anyone else that comes to mind that Rick Hahn could target in a deal that wouldn't require such a high prospect cost? Well, I, I think you already did the research on this or did the discussion on this in your Twitter spaces, so I will yield the floor. All right. So uh, <laughs> I, give, I give Jordan Lazowski credit for this one, and I, and I do like this idea. Uh, as Dribble Cabrera, uh, frenemy or yeah. enemy of the White Sox uh, for so long— and you, he you kind of feels like he was a White Sox at some point, <laughs> right? <laughs> We've seen him so often. Yeah, wasn't he like an uh, invi- you know like a non-roster invitee in like you know 2017 or something like that? He wasn't just like we've just seen a lot of him, and he's disappeared and come back and disappeared and just he's present. Yes. So Cabrera right now for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which you you mentioned the Colorado Rockies being a mess, and they are a mess because. What it sounds like throughout baseball, nobody really knows who's in charge of the Rockies right now. Is it the interim GM that's making the decisions or is it the owners that are making the decisions? And recently the Manford family came out and said that they may not trade Trevor Story, that they're hopeful they could possibly sign a contract extension with him, uh, which I just, I I feel like that's a bit delusional, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with what happened with the whole Nolan Arenado situation. Uh, so it's a mess in Colorado, but the Arizona Diamondbacks, Jim, in their last 35 games are five and 30 and it's, mm. and they just fired their hitting coaches. And this didn't make sense to me when it was reported that the Diamondbacks fired the hitting coaches, that it was either the hitting coaches or the manager. Like why, why is it either or, I mean, you're five and 30. There's a lot of problems that's going on <laughs> with Arizona right now. Uh, but as dribble Cabrera, is hitting 275. He's got a 378 on base percentage and he's slugging 450. And, and if you get Cabrera and you copy and paste that slash line of production over to the White Sox and you have this veteran that can also play at third base and he could spell time at shortstop if Anderson needs a day off and you can put him in second base right away. Uh, and he's a veteran and he's a cheap one. He only signed a $1.75 million contract to play this season. Uh, it, it's not a blockbuster deal. Yeah. It is not sexy, but if you can copy and paste his production, what he's doing with Arizona and you bring it to the white Sox after Nick magical's injury, I think it works. Well, that's basically what he did for the nationals, uh, in 2019. Like he just yeah. filled that, he stepped in, filled that role was having like, he looked like he was at the end of the line with Texas. 
that came over to the Nationals, was reinvigorated, played a nice role off the bench, walked more than he struck out, had a decent World Series, like he was a part of that team. So he's used to that. He's used to, I guess that's one thing you can say is like a guy like Frazier has never moved, whereas a guy like Cabrera has been used to being that guy traded, you know, moving midseason, dropping in, you know, basically showing up and saying, what do you need? And, and doing that. So I, it's a pretty good idea, I think. Uh, it's hard to know exactly. Like, I've been, like, looking through his splits just to see, you know, is he strong against lefties, strong against righties? Uh, very uneven in both season, last two seasons, but in the wrong, different directions both times. Like, he raked lefties one year, struggled against righties, and then you know, flipped it the other next year. So uh, based on just the nature of splits and small samples, like, it seems like he's probably somebody who can play every day or nearly every day if you need him to. And uh, allow, you know, the Tony La Russa to basically just direct all his resources, all his part-time players, all his partial players to the outfield and trying to get the best matchups there. Yeah. And another interesting name, uh, that one of the people that were listening, I, this came from Michael, uh, to the Twitter space. When we opened up the mics, he was wondering, could Freddie Galvis be a possibility? And we talked about Trevor's story, which I think he's going to be one of the top gets before the trade deadline for teams that desperately need a shortstop. Like the Oakland Athletics desperately need a shortstop. Uh, St. Louis may need a shortstop. There are questions in New York about Glaber Torres at the shortstop position. He can hit, but can he stick at short? And man, Freddie Galvis... That was a resume booster of a series he had at Guarantee Ray Field a couple weeks ago when Baltimore was in town. The White Sox swept that series, but Galvis had a, a terrific series, especially offensively. And you know, the more I think about it, yeah, why not? You can depend on him defensively, and if he continues to hit like he has, that I feel like that could be some value and helps fill in the void that Magical left with his injury. How do you feel about a possible Freddie Galvis trade? Uh, I'm, I'm cooler to that just because of his history of sub 300 OBPs. Like when he was pressed into starting, he's somebody, he seems like the the classic second division starter to where you like, you don't mind him. He does enough well to where he helps you, you know, turn the day on a calendar, turn a year over, uh, with a roster that's not going many places, but if you have to put him into a, an everyday roster, you start to notice his flaws a bit more. So I'm you know, he improves the current roster, but I think he's one of those guys where you don't make the trade to get him. Like you, you don't direct resources that could go to a Frazier, could go to Cabrera to get him just because like he could show up and be that guy who, you know, or have the line of performances that drags his OBP back below 300. Look at his career splits right now. Yeah. Sub 700 OPS against righties, like even splits in both directions. Uh, but it's, uh, sub 300 OBP and a, and a sub 400 slugging percentage against both righties and lefties. So he's not somebody who's, you know, like he's been pressed into full-time play and could help against starters of either hand. Like if he were somebody who couldn't hit lefties at all, I'd feel okay with it. But he just feels like he has that vague skill set that doesn't really uh, define him in a way that could help the White Sox the way like Adam Angle helps the center field because he hits lefties well. And the way that, uh, you know, like say Andrew Vaughn hits lefties well. Like it feels like you need somebody who hits righties well, or you know, if not like hammers them, at least can start against righties. And I don't think Galvis quite does that enough to offset the production they've already lost from now three season jeopardizing injuries. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm going through the list right now. Old friend Eduardo Escobar uh, for the Diamondbacks. I, I feel like the Diamondbacks are going to be very popular partners with the White Sox on on needs. Uh, Kettle Marte uh, was a, was another name that was brought up. Mm-hmm. If Kenny Williams was still running the team, I would say yes. Uh, he would probably mortgage the entire farm system uh, to bring him in. But I just don't feel like Rick Hahn would be the one to to make that type of move. Uh, we, we got in the comments section on YouTube, uh, Miguel Rojas uh, with uh, Miami. Uh, it, it maybe could be a possibility. Uh, there are some options, but uh, I'm wondering if we agree, Jim, right now for the White Sox, the top trade target to help fill in the void that Nick Magical left is Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh. Would that be a fair comment? I think it's fair, but I think, you know, the there are enough names there to where I don't think you throw everything at Pittsburgh, <laughs> who's uh, not budging right now, to get the deal done. I, I think, you know, I would like to see him exercise a little patience. However, you know, if Frazier is there for, say, two prep prospects, then I think maybe that's enough to say, like, let's go for it. Let's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the trade that often comes to mind in that situation is, you know, jumping the gun on the market is Freddie Garcia uh, in 2004, uh, where they uh, traded what felt like way too much to the Mariners for Freddie Garcia, especially a rental Freddie Garcia, but then they extended him and uh, nobody on the Mariners' side really materialized. Like Mike Morris had the best career of anybody in that deal, but like uh, a number of years and number of organizations later, kind of reinvented himself into this weird like hulking DH. So you know that that deal was worth doing, and I think there's a little bit of uh, benefit of being proactive. But I think there are enough guys around to where, yeah, you know, especially like with Cabrera out there, I, I like probably like that situ- uh, or or that um, proposal the best right now, just because of that history of him <laughs> dropping in. Well, I mean, in, in terms of like a Frazier comparison or a Frazier competition, like I like both of those and I like Cabrera enough to not jump the gun on Frazier if there's nobody else driving up the price on him and Pittsburgh wants to wait. I think he's another guy to at least present real competition and, and has that experience of showing up and helping a contender midseason. But go back to the timing though. Mm-hmm. If over the weekend, Rick Khan traits her as Struble Cabrera, would you be disappointed that he didn't wait longer and wait and see what the Adam Frazier market materialized? A little bit. I think it would come down to like basically if um, Arizona just wanted to give Cabrera away. <laughs> I think like may as well, because who knows, you might need another infielder down the line. Frazier still might help. Or like say if, you know, Adam Eaton's legs finally give out, you might need Frazier or Frazier type in the outfield. So I don't think, you know, Cabrera on like a cheap, uh, you know, classic rental trade where just like an interesting arm, um, you know, maybe that's enough to get the job done on a deal. And then you, you take Cabrera, he helps, and then, uh, keep talking to Pittsburgh because you never know what other positions might be needed and, and, and what other injury might happen to where, where Frazier can fit in or Cabrera can slide over to fill in position while Frazier now fits in. Uh, if Pittsburgh wants to slow play it and a cheap option presents itself, then it may as well, you know, like, may as well get the help now and maybe get the help later as well. Well, next on Sox Machine Live, we are going to be previewing the upcoming series as the Chicago White Sox 
head to Detroit for the first time in 2021. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor for this episode from Clear. I'm sure everyone's getting stir crazy because of the pandemic and I got my vaccine and I am making a bunch of summer plans. I know a lot of my friends and family are as well. We've got flights booked. We got trips booked. I'm going to visit Austin, Texas for the first time. I bought White Sox versus Rangers tickets in September. So I'm heading to Arlington to check out that new stadium. I got a wedding to go to in New Orleans uh, in October. I've got places to be and I'm going to be flying real soon. And if you are like me planning out your trips this summer, make sure to sign up for Clear. Clear is a secure identity platform that creates frictionless journeys at airports and beyond. You can move faster through airport security and feel confident returning to who, where, and what you love. With Clear, all you need is you. After a quick one-time enrollment with your government-issued ID, you can use just your face or eyes for safer, touchless entry at airports, stadiums, and more. And my Clear ID, because I have Clear, uh, works on their network across the nation. I'm always looking for Clear kiosks, no matter what airport I'm traveling out of. Because uh, again, the good news is we're going to be flying again and going on vacations. The bad news is everyone is going to be flying as soon as possible. So the airports are going to be crazy packed, which means security is going to be crazy packed. Do what I did and sign up for Clear. There's even family plans that start at just $50 per person for a year. And kids under the age of 18 can tag along for free. For those that have TSA PreCheck, I've got TSA PreCheck too. And I still use Clear. It's worth it. For a limited time, you can get your first two months free with Clear by visiting clearme.com slash socksmachine and use promo code socksmachine. That's C-L-E-A-R-M-E dot com slash socksmachine for your first two months of Clear for free. Make your next trip at the airport fast, safe, and easy as possible by using Clear. And again, don't forget our promo code at clearme.com slash socksmachine when signing up. All right, so the Chicago White Sox heading to Detroit for the first time in 2021 and taking a look at the Detroit Tigers. They are not in last place. Uh, they are currently fourth place in the American League Central because the Minnesota Twins still cannot beat the New York Yankees. Oh, au contraire. What? See what happened in the ninth inning? It did not because we're talking about the White Sox on this live stream. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, I was looking at the scoreboard, and Twins rallied with four in the ninth off Aroldis Chapman, oh. who did not record an out. Yikes. Polanco single, Donaldson homer, Acedillo single, Cruz homer. <laughs> and that's how they won. <laughs> well, the Twins finally did it. They should throw yeah. a parade. They should throw a parade. The Twins have finally beat the New York Yankees. Um, but that's the Twins talk for this episode. Let's talk about the Tigers. Uh, the Tigers are 26 and 36. They won their last game and they have been playing better baseball as of late. The season series, the White Sox have won five of the first seven games. So the White Sox are five and two against Detroit. And again, this is the first series in Detroit for the White Sox in 2021. And taking a look at the pitching probables for this series, and it's repeat of pitching probables that we saw this past weekend. Tarek Skubal is going to make the start for Detroit on Friday, which is going to be a 6.10 p.m. Central Time start. And it'll be Lucas Giolito on the mound to counter him. On Saturday, the Tiger Tamer, 
Dylan Cease is on the mound. It'll be a 3.10 p.m. Central time start against Jose Arena, uh, who has pitched well against the White Sox in two starts this year. And on Sunday, Detroit doesn't know who they're going to be having out on the mound, but it will be Carlos Rodon on the mound for the White Sox. So Gilito, Cease, and Rodon against Detroit. And Jim, that looks like to be a very good formula for the White Sox on paper. But again... Uh, Scooball and Arena have given the White Sox hitters fits. Scooball had 10 strikeouts in his start against the White Sox. For me, the focus on this series is how does this White Sox offense uh, respond after their big win against the Blue Jays? And again, a 7-10 p.m. Central Time start. You get done after 10 o'clock. You shower. You talk to the media. You pack. You get on the bus. You land in Detroit in the early morning. And then you got to play a road game at six o'clock that night. Uh, it's a lot to ask for. It's a quick transition, and that's why my focus Sounds is like going to be on the offense. Sounds like you're setting up excuses. Well, not necessarily <laughs> excuses, but yeah. you know, it is the grind of the major leagues, and that's why I'm focusing on how does this offense respond now after the series against Toronto against two pitchers who have given them headaches. Yeah, I, I think you know. Theoretically, you know, you, we've seen it with the White Sox, where you know, the, if, like say a Giolito or a Cease or you know, Reno Lopez when he was uh, a factor, um, you know, pitching against uh, an AL Central opponent, two consecutive starts, and the second start doesn't look as good, and you write it off and say, well, you know, it's they just saw him, they just saw what worked, so they they adjusted to what worked, and so I think. Uh, it's kind of incumbent on the White Sox offense to put up more of a fight, especially against Scooball, because like, you know, uh, Urania, he's a right-handed sinker baller. Like, you know, the White Sox have a hard time, you know, with right hand, their right-handed hitters getting the ball in the air, reliable basis. So that just might be the kind of pitcher who just hits the same button over and over again and, uh, you know, gets results, get adequate results, maybe not enough to win a game on a certain day, but just... Uh, the White Sox can't light him up. They don't have what it takes to light him up with who's on hand right now. But I think Scooble, like, looked good. And I, I think he's got the talent to where he can have some really good starts here and there. But you look at his line on the season, and he's also has the, you know, he's erratic. So he'll have some uh, games where it doesn't work for him. And I think the White Sox, seeing him twice in a row, seeing him basically at his best, I, I would hope that they would have enough tape on him, enough muscle memory against him to know what went wrong the first time and what to cover next time. And hopefully that, you know, him being a young pitcher and having, you know, the, the, the four something ERA that he has, you know, shows that he doesn't quite have enough in his arsenal yet to mix it up and, and present two different looks to a lineup that's seeing him twice in a row. With Scooball making that first start on Friday, do you like the idea of, cause he, it was your Mercedes batting second against Ryu. So Mercedes got bumped up in the lineup to replace where Nick Magical has been batting second against lefties. Do you like that? Do you want to continue to see Mercedes bat second behind Tim Anderson against left-handed starting pitchers? I don't for this matchup because I think it worked against Ryu because Ryu doesn't throw that hard. Like he's he's got the big curveball. He's got a fastball with a little bit of hop, but he relies more on secondary stuff. Like one of the pitches he hit was a changeup. Another was a cutter, like high 80s. And he can hit that velocity. But I think when he's seeing, you know, uh, above average velocity from the left, even from the left side, I don't think he's going to square it up. And then if you have him in the second spot and you're not going to pinch hit for him against the righty, uh, the, the Detroit's harder throwing righties out of the bullpen, I don't think that's really a good situation to have him in between, uh, in front of Mankata, who you really want to see at the plate. 
So I would say no. It wouldn't surprise me if he gives uh, Mercedes a second shot at it because it worked and it's a lefty. And, you know, maybe Mercedes is, you know, kind of gearing down in a swing a little bit, not trying to load up as much. And maybe he'll have a little bit more to offer against a guy like Scooble because, you know, lefties, he might have just more success against them. But I'm inclined to think that uh, going to that well twice won't work. Well, we'll see what the White Sox lineups will look like over the weekend. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that Derek Holland makes an appearance. They do not bunt. <laughs> yeah. Do not bunt against Derek Holland. Let's not repeat that conversation or topic again. Uh, but again, we'll, we, we will be recapping that series on the next episode of the Sox Machine podcast, uh, which you'll be able to listen to on Monday morning. And hopefully we are talking about another series win for the Chicago White Sox, as I think that is the expectation this weekend. <laughs> another, another series uh, win and not another catastrophic injury. Yeah, let's 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 not have those. I We've had our fill for the 2021 season. No more catastrophic injuries from here on out. I'm speaking into existence. Yoan Mikata cannot get hurt. Tim Anderson cannot get hurt. Jog down the first baseline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody will yell at you. No, not anymore. Well, some might, but no, not anymore. It's okay. Nobody who it, counts. <laughs> yeah, but that will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream, which you can do so on youtube.com slash Machine. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to our channel. That really helps us. And you'll get notified when new videos are posted into our channel feed. And if you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, no worries. You can listen to the audio version of Sox Machine Live on our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And also follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and want more, think about signing up on patreon.com slash Sox Machine where you get exclusive content. You get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And we have plans starting at $2, $3, $5, and $10 a month. We might be having new swag items coming down the pipe. Wink, wink. And our Patreon supporters get the first opportunity to purchase those new swag items. So again, if you enjoy our work and you want more, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. Socks Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.